Well, we're in our final week um, looking at the book of Revelation, certainly being quite challenging. <clears throat> but we will be returning to the second half of the book at some point in the future. And don't forget, if you have missed any of the sermons on Revelation or any of the other sermons in the last six months, then you can listen to them on the Cornerstone podcast. Yes, so I'll only be reading up to 8 verse 13, which is all of chapter 8. Yeah, and page 1032. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is wood, Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ashti. Do keep that passage open. And it might be helpful for you to have uh, some of the paper Bibles, because we're going to be looking at various parts of the Old Testament a little bit as well. Um, and, and I guess we may come to this passage with a certain degree of anxiety and nervousness, because we're thinking and looking and hearing about God's judgment. Remember, it's the Lord Jesus Christ who taught more than anyone else about hell and judgment in the Bible. And yet he also wept as he announced judgment upon Jerusalem. So let's be praying now that God would speak to our hearts and help us to feel what we ought to feel as we consider this. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your great love for the world, your love that took you to the cross to take the punishment, the judgment for our sins, for the sins of all who trust in you. And yet, Lord Jesus, we also thank you that you were straight 
with us, with the world, that there would be many who don't trust in you and face your judgment. And over this you wept. Lord, please speak to our hearts that we might share your heart for your world. Amen. Well, why is it worth suffering for Christ? Maybe we're considering the cost of following Christ. We're just looking into the Christian faith and we realize that were we to become a Christian, it would lead to all kinds of problems in our lives, problems in our relationships, our family, our workplace. Or maybe we're increasingly aware of that as uh, followers of Jesus. We, we, we don't like being consistently misunderstood, uh, given the cold shoulder, being passed over for promotion, being ostracized, even prosecuted as some now are being in our country. Why, why is it worth following Jesus Christ and being faithful to him and to his word in the Bible when there's many people out there in the church who don't think it's necessary to be faithful, who think that compromise with the, th the thinking and the values of our day is okay, that idolatry and witchcraft in church is okay and worship of other gods is okay and sexual immorality is okay and that there's no hell. Why is it worth suffering for Christ, for being a Christian who is faithful to God's word and what Jesus said? Well, that was the issue for many in uh, the first century uh, to whom uh, the, the book of Revelation is written as we've been seeing over the last few weeks. Remember, people were facing the, the, the persecution of the Roman Empire, uh, having to offer sacrifices to the emperor on pain of death, and having to face the, the Jewish synagogue who colluded with the Roman powers to make sure the Christians were thrown to the lions sometimes. So we need to remind ourselves that Jesus has revealed this to John, who's written it, uh, and this is the, the Spirit's voice to the church, not just for them, but for us today. And what is the answer from chapter 8 to that question? Why is it worth suffering for Christ, being persecuted or even executed? Why is it worth it? Well, because the alternative is far worse. The Holy God will judge those who persecute his people, he will judge idolaters by unleashing demonic torment on them. So fear God and stay faithful. And you might think, John, you're getting a bit fire and brimstone. John, don't go there. We don't want to be frightened this morning. I don't want to be frightening. And it's a shame, isn't it, that preaching on hell, particularly when preachers seem to take pleasure in it or are slightly gleeful about who is going to hell, has a bad press, and rightly so. But Jesus preached on hell more than any other biblical figure. I take it because he doesn't want people to go there. And he preached with tears and grief, not glee. But he wanted you and me to face 
reality. Grenfell Tower, I don't know what those words conjure up in your mind. Every time I hear about what happened at Grenfell Tower, it is so tragic, isn't it? It's so unbelievably painful to hear that as the flames were licking up the sides of the building, there was that fatal instruction to stay where you are. If only the message had been given, now flee, get out of the building. The flames are coming. The cladding is going to mean that the flames rush up the building. The sprinkler system will not work properly. They could have got out if they had fled. But they stayed where they were. And that is the way that this passage functions. It's showing us the reality the tragic reality of divine judgment and those who are unfaithful and do not repent. Those who are part of the visible church who are unfaithful and those who worship idols. We need to see the reality. Jesus wants us to see the reality of his coming judgment. We, we've seen this before. We, we've seen it in chapter 6. We've seen it in the letters to the churches. Let's just uh, flip back. We, what have we seen so far? Well, in chapters 4 and 5, we, we've seen that the, that the sovereignty of the Creator is unquestionable and the control of the Lamb who was slain. He is the one alone who is worthy to open the seals of the scroll of history. And then in chapters 6 and 7 in our last sermon, we saw how Jesus unleashes in the history of the earth these riders of the apocalypse, demonic powers that bring death and plague and famine. And yet also he rescues people, he seals them with, he owns people, he purchased them with his blood, countless billions symbolized by the 144,000 who are safe and secure from God's coming judgment because the Lamb makes them pure and perfect, white robes, chapter 7, verse 13. Those who are secure in the midst of the throne, verse 17 of chapter 7, with the Lamb who is their shepherd, who will wipe away every tear from their eyes, owned by him, belonging to him. Isn't that wonderful? But what we have here is seven seals that the Lamb has the power and sovereignty to unfurl history, and then within the seventh seal there comes seven trumpets, seven announcements of the Lamb's wrath, of God's anger, and within that, seven thunders. They're all images of the judgment to come, leading up to the final judgment of chapter 11, verse 15. So you just flip over the page. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And this is the end time judgment, verse 18, the time for the dead to be judged. Now, you'll be pleased to know that in looking at chapters 8 to 11, I'm going to leave out most of chapters 10 and 11 because they, they really point forward into the rest of the book of Revelation. 
they're a connecting section. The angel and the little scroll and then the two witnesses connect more to the second half of the book and the beasts that are coming. So I'll leave that when we come back to the book of Revelation. But what do we learn from these seven trumpets, seven announcements of God's coming judgment? Firstly, God judges in response to the cry of his persecuted people. Look with me at chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. You see, in chapter 6, we read that when he, that's Jesus, opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who'd been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge? and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. And they're told to wait until the full number of those to be slain like them has been fulfilled, and then the end will come. And we encounter this altar again at the beginning of chapter 8. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Silence. A picture of that pause before judgment, before destruction, like before the walls of Jericho collapsed. Silence. And then there are seven trumpets. Verse 2, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. These are the prayers of God's people in response to the persecution, the slaying of God's people that takes place from the blood of Abel to the last possible person slain for being faithful to Jesus. And all the prayers that rise before God's throne mean that then God responds in judgment. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. God responds to the prayers of his people calling out to him, how long before you avenge our blood with judgments throughout history? I don't know, sometimes I, I struggle to know if God is listening to me in prayer. I think, well, what's going on when I pray? Well, here is a strange encouragement. God hears and responds to the prayers of his people and brings judgment on the earth. Remember that parable that Jesus taught about the persistent widow who keeps bothering a, a judge and she wants to get justice and then his conclusion is well how much more will your heavenly father see that his children who cry out to him day and night receive justice and that quickly see prayer is the most powerful thing we can do it moves the hand of God to bring justice on behalf of his people. So that's why God responds to the prayers of his people with these seven trumpets, these seven 
unfolding announcements of judgment. The second thing we learn is that God's judgment is cosmic because of covenant breaking. God's judgment is cosmic because of covenant breaking. Now, we can't really understand what's going on in the second half of chapter 8 without keeping a finger there and going back to Ezekiel. So if you could keep a finger there or on your Bible app, I don't know quite how you're going to do this, so close Revelation and go back to Ezekiel chapter 5. Because you might have been thinking, what's all this about thirds? Well, obviously, it means that the judgment is perfect. The number three is a perfect number. But let's go back to chapter 5. and See, the original readers would have included uh, those converted from a Jewish background. They'd have understood. They'd have heard the echo. I'm just going to read from chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, just a bit of background. Uh, so Ezekiel is prophesying about the coming judgment of God on Jerusalem. He's in Babylon. He's been taken away, the first group of exiles. And you, O son of man, that's Ezekiel, take a sharp sword, use it as a barber's razor, and pass it over your head and your beard. Then take balances for weighing and divide the hair. A third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed. And a third part you shall take and strike with the sword all around the city. And a third part you shall scatter to the wind. And I will unsheathe the sword after them. And you shall take from these a small number and bind them in the skirts of your robe. And of these again you shall take some and cast them into the midst of the fire and burn them in the fire. From there a fire will come out into all the house of Israel. And picking up in verse 11. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, there I will withdraw. My eye shall not spare, and I will have no pity. A third part of you shall die of pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. A third part shall fall by the sword all around you, and a third part I will scatter to all the winds, and I will unsheathe the sword after them. Thus shall my anger spend itself, and I will vent my fury upon them and satisfy myself. And they shall know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken in my jealousy, when I spend my fury upon them. Back to Revelation chapter 8. This, these are the thirds. For the original readers in the first century, they thought, oh, it's Ezekiel. It's the thirds. It's God's judgment against the covenant people of God, the destruction of Jerusalem. But what's happening now? Verse 7, the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. This is God's judgment, not just on Jerusalem, but on the whole cosmos. Why? Because of his covenant-breaking people. See, the idea from the Old Testament is not only that this is God's judgment on his visible people, but on the whole cosmos, because there is a connection between God's people and the cosmos. The whole cosmos has been created for his covenant people. And so if his covenant people break the covenant, the earth will be decreated. Verse 12, 
The fourth angel blew his trumpet. So these are the trumpets of God's judgment. And a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. The faithfulness of God's people has cosmic significance. It's not just a sideshow. The church and the faithfulness of the church is not some optional extra in God's plan of history. Now, we all know that global warming is a thing, don't we? Uh, sorry if you doubt that. Do talk to me afterwards if you want to debate whether global warming is really a thing, whether it's caused by humans burning fossil fuels or not. I know that there's still debate. Let's not go there. But for those who take the Bible seriously, there should be no problem in believing that the cosmos is fractured, that the environment will be degraded, because the response of God to the sin of his covenant people is to judge the whole cosmos, the earth. Verse 11, the name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it was made Bitter, decreation. Now, as we were considering in our, on our last uh, sermon in Revelation, God is not just love, is he? He is just love. His justice is real. The Bible is clear that his wrath, his just fury against human rebellion, against satanic rebellion, is expressed every day, pointing forward to that final day when Jesus returns. And we're not to think that the unfaithfulness of the church, the idolatry and sexual immorality in our own day is simply a political problem or a financial one. It is a spiritual problem. God withdraws as he did in the Old Testament. He shows no pity when his covenant people are persistently unfaithful. That is why the letters to the churches in, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 urge repentance. Apart from one where persecution is so imminent and death has already taken place. See, the significance of the unfaithfulness of the church is that it affects the whole cosmos. The universe is created for God's covenant people, and when they are unfaithful, it starts to fall apart. Take warning, is the message of Revelation, and be faithful. Don't be caught up in this judgment. Flee, the flames are coming. Believe the truth, not the lies that encourage unfaithfulness and idolatry. Don't think you can reject the lamb who was slain and escape judgment. That's not reality. Thirdly, God judges unrepentant idolaters by unleashing hellish plagues. This is what chapter 9 is, is about. The, the three remaining trumpets. People talk about hell being let loose, don't they? Well, this is what it's like 
when God really opens hell and lets it loose. Fallen angels or demons being released. Verse 1. I saw, saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. That's always a picture of demonic. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and... From the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of the scorpions of the earth. So yeah, a fallen angel is given power by Jesus who opens all the seals, and in opening the seventh seal opens all these seven trumpets, and they sting like scorpions, and they bring great torment, verse 5. They are allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. See, these are all pictures of the Old Testament judgment, aren't they? Locusts from the plagues. And they bring a spiritual torment. Verse 11, they have as over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Now, some of us might be thinking, yes, but how can God be like this? Is it that he creates people to then torment and punish them? No, no. I don't have time to, to go into the answer to that question. Maybe bring that question uh, in our questions with a pint or come and talk to me afterwards. Now, God is infinitely good and pure and loving and yet he has created a world in which it's possible for people to reject him, to rebel against him, which is what the angelic realm has done. And human beings believe Satan and worship demons rather than God. And that is rightly deserving of an infinite punishment. Because God is infinitely good and infinitely holy. But we might say, well, people aren't really that bad, are they? I mean, people aren't that bad. I mean, don't people, realizing how destructive something is to them, stop it? Isn't that what people are like? When, when they see all these judgments being rolled out in history, even in their own experience, doesn't it mean that they repent? Verse 20. No. Chapter 9, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshipping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Just like Pharaoh in the Old Testament who hardened his heart and so suffered the full brunt of the judgment of God. Just like the people of Jerusalem who had God's prophets sent to them again and again and again. So the whole world will be judged by God. And many people 
will never repent. If this doesn't make you grieve, I don't know what will. See, reality is so tragic. It is so tragic, isn't it, that young Russians are heading to give up their lives for the lie of repelling an aggressor. It is so tragic that the lie of Nazi Germany led to countless millions dying for a lie. And there are countless millions dying and hurtling to hell because they believe the lie that there is no God and that worship of created things is just fine. It is tragic. It is reality. Can we not see the warning here? The madness, the sheer madness of worshipping something which is not God. Of being committed to murder rather than worship of the Lamb who was murdered. Of theft, of stealing from God as well as for others. Of sexual immorality, of sorcery, all sin, rebellion against God, the worship of the demonic is madness. But we all love it, don't we, in our human nature. And we need to see reality that God unleashes dark powers that lead to torment and eternal suffering. People crying out for death, but it won't come. Dark powers that are only defeated by Jesus Christ can only be conquered by the Lamb who was slain. And so it is worth serving him and suffering for him because the alternatives are far worse. Of course, there's much better reasons to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. But the Bible is realistic about what we're like, what you're like and I'm like. See, we need not just to hear and see the positives. We need to see and hear the negatives. Let's just go back to the positives for a bit of a break. Chapter 7, verse 16. Those who trust in the Lamb who was slain, those who put their faith in him, who are faithful to him, who conquer like him, chapters 2 and 3, shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more of chapter 7. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. Oh, he cares for us. He laid down his life for us. Why would I go anywhere else? And he will guide them, you and me, to springs of living water, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. What a day. There's so many tears in this world, are there not? Keep trusting Jesus. Keep faithful to Jesus. Keep suffering with him. But people still respond to the tragedy of our world, don't they, by questioning the existence of God and living as if there is no God. But that is to evade reality. Reality is Jesus Christ. The world was made for him, by him. All of history is under his control. It's all hurtling to a day when he will return and those who trust in him will be safe in him and those who are not in him 
will be judged by him forever. That is reality. Um, I thought I'd uh, watch the film that is tipped by the um, uh, everybody who knows about these things uh, to win lots and lots of Oscars. It's called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I can't say it's a particularly edifying film. It's got some pretty gross things in it. It's about an owner of a laundry who's living a humdrum life and she regrets her past decisions and learns to choose whatever she wants so that she can connect to all the other realities in the multiverse to save the universe. It's all about her choices. It's basically saying that life is ultimately meaningless and absurd. It's a bit of a laugh, whether it's murder or sex or struggling with your tax returns. They're all of the sort of part of the same absurdity of life. There's no morality, just your choices. Connect with kindness and with people. That's all there really is. It's very reflective of our culture, isn't it? What matters is me and my choices and all the possible lives that I can have. But it's not reality. It's evading reality. Reality, as revelation makes clear, in every dimension, past, present, future, levels of heaven, demonic activity, the angels, it's all about the lamb who was slain. Don't give up on him because you will be judged if you do. That is reality. And so God announces in the final trumpet, as we come to a close, chapter 11, verse 15, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And those who are gathered around the throne, symbolic of the Old and New Testament churches, fall on their faces, worship him and give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was You've taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. See, the reality is there is going to be a judgment day. As we were thinking at the beginning, Jesus will come and judge and either he will judge for you because you've trusted in him or he will judge against you. I know which I'd rather. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us that we, in knowing your love and faithfulness and mercy, and care and the safety that we have in you. Forget the reality of the judgment day to come, which revelation makes oh so clear to us. Lord, help us to, to grieve that that is reality. Help us to trust in what you have done to make us safe, to trust in you, to keep faithfully serving you despite the suffering that that will bring. And help us to put our hope fully 
in the grace to be given us when you return. For your glory's sake. Amen.